odds are all against me. I'm ready to go, burning it down. They ain't noticed till the temperature rose. Bless the energy. Then we erupt in a blaze. Mama save us. I swear the baby's lately crazy. Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Sorceress, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized urban fantasy fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Awakened, Paragons Book One. Written by C. Stephen Manley. Performed for you by James Anderson Foster. Episode Six. Chapter Eleven. What the hell are you playing at, Warburton? Olivia looked up at the man pointing at her over her desk. Despite his obvious anger, she couldn't help but pause at the sheer oddity he presented. Department of Genetic Research and Investigation Special Agent Hiro Namura stood just over five and a half feet tall and looked every bit the son of his native Japanese parents. Black hair, just tipped with gray as he approached his middle age, was cut short against an oval face that carried serious eyes and a mouth that looked unfamiliar with the concept of a smile. His movements were precise and measured from a lifetime of military and government service. The oddity lay in his voice. Though his parents were immigrants from Okinawa, Nomura was born and raised in the United States and spoke with an accent that was pure South Texas. I'm usually playing at any number of things, Agent Namura. You'll have to be more specific, Olivia said with a cold smile. Don't bullshit me, lady. Where are you hiding him? Down in that hobbit hole of yours? Olivia raised an eyebrow at that. She knew some of the staff had taken to calling the holding facility on the northern portion of the estate the hobbit hole. What she didn't know was how Nomura could possibly know that. She looked over at Mr. Stone, who was watching the exchange from the comfort of a chair to Nomura's left. Though most people found his expressions to be a perfect fit to his name, Olivia had known Stone long enough to accurately gauge his reactions. She could tell he'd caught Nomura's reference as well. Hiding whom, she said. Nomura smiled. Israel Trent, Paragon-level necrophage, one of two survivors of the Oceanside Breach from two days ago, died in this office, I believe. Olivia kept her smile in place. We sweep for surveillance daily, Nomura, so I know you didn't get that electronically. Just how many people do you have embedded on my staff? Classified, Nomura said. Give us the phage. Show me a warrant. Why the hell would I need one of those? Olivia shrugged. Civil liberties? Mr. Trent is a taxpaying citizen, after all. Well, now that's where you're wrong, Nomura said. Israel Trent was a solid tax-paying citizen. That dead thing you have locked up down there doesn't have any rights, and we both know you aren't calling the ACLU to dispute that. The Council of the Vale might have something to say about his status. I'm sure they will. Hell, 
They'll probably have to dust off some old books to remind them how they finally managed to put down old Vlad back in the day. You know as well as I do Trent would scare the pants off every bloodline out there. Maybe, she said. Maybe not. We have Mr. Trent under lockdown for study. He is no threat to anyone, and we are using him to learn more about the necrophagic bloodline. He may provide us with information that could help us prevent another Barrow incident. He is contained, controlled, and cooperating fully. There is no threat there. Locked down, Nomura said, nodding. Hell yeah, you do. Locked down in a secret underground jailhouse that the Sentry Group neglected to inform the DGRI about. Olivia raised her eyebrow again. A clerical oversight, I'm sure. I'll speak to my staff about it. Clerical oversight, my... Nomura's phone chirped, and he stopped talking long enough to snatch it from his jacket pocket. Go, he said. Olivia looked over at Stone. His eyes were slightly downcast as though he were waiting for something. An irritating suspicion tickled through her mind. Say again? Nomura barked, his face growing red through the olive complexion. Copy that. Lay out a search grid. I want eyes in the sky ASAP, focusing on his last known heading. I'll be on site in five. Nomura ended the call and faced Olivia again. Well, it looks like your little hobbit hole ain't the lockdown facility you thought it was. Trent's gone. Took out two of your guys and four of my professional badasses after they put a number of high-caliber holes in him. What was that about him not being a threat? A chill swept through Olivia's guts. He killed them? You have to quarantine those bodies, hero. I know the protocols, Olivia. He accented her name in a way that reminded her he wasn't some employee to be flattered by the use of a first name. Nobody died, though one of my guys has a crushed rib cage and is probably looking at an early disability retirement. They'll all go through the usual decontamination procedures. In the meantime, the DGRI will handle the manhunt. I'm officially ordering Sentry to stand the hell down while we sort out your mess. Why did you have an armed team on my grounds? Nomura smiled. Well, I just knew that you were going to be your usual cooperative self, Olivia. The DGRI man turned to go. We can help you, Olivia called after him. Don't need it. The phage dropped a backpack in the fight. We'll find him. Nomura stopped and looked back. We'll also find out who gave him a backpack full of supplies. Be seeing you, Olivia. Olivia gave Nomura a full minute to get out of the house before she looked at Stone and said, What the hell did you do? Stone held up a hand and raised a phone to his ear. Did you hear all that? Right, then burn the phone. He listened for a moment. Don't fret, he said. I'll tell her. Stone ended the call and faced Olivia. Michelle, she said, nodding at the phone. Stone nodded. It was bad enough we had him locked up, he said. I wasn't about to let those DGRI wankers take him too. Oh, for God's sake, Stone, we talked about this. We didn't talk about them, Stone said, pointing after Nomura. He said it himself. They don't even consider the lad a free soul anymore. You know what they would do, Olivia. Olivia did know. She had seen the results of DGRI experimentation on a member of the Lycan bloodline in 1974. 
It had nearly caused a cold war between the DGRI and the Council of the Vale, but Olivia's family and the newly formed Sentry Group had managed to negotiate a peace between them, based largely on the DGRI agreeing to ban any sort of non-voluntary experimentation. So far as she knew, the government agency had been true to its word, but Nemura had been right about the Council's view on Israel Trent. They wouldn't care what happened to him so long as he was put down. What exactly did you do? Stone spent the next couple of minutes filling her in on Israel's release and the plan to make contact later. I thought he'd be fast enough to get lost in Panola before Nomura's goblins reached the hobbit hole. I didn't count on a team being there already. Olivia lightly dropped a fist onto her desk. So he's out there without any supplies, injured and almost certainly overcome with hunger. If he hasn't turned already, then he will soon. And if he finds a populated spot... I know, Stone said. I know. Find him, Stone. Find him before this thing escalates. I'll put the word out. No, Olivia said. No, you. The twins, a few more that you trust explicitly. Hero knew far too much about the holding cells right down to their exact location and what the staff had nicknamed them. That's a bigger leak than I'm willing to tolerate, but we'll deal with that later. Right now, we prioritize Israel. And if the lad turned? Olivia let out a slow, exhausted breath. Give him what mercy you can. Stone nodded and left the room. Olivia spent a few minutes deep in thought. Options and predictable or possible outcomes flowed through her mind. Finally, she pulled a keyboard from a tray under her desk and tapped a few keys. The doors to her office closed and she heard the click of heavy locks engaging. A few more keystrokes and the large television on her wall flickered to life. Seconds later, a man dressed in a crisp and flawless gray silk suit appeared on it. Hello, Sebastian, Olivia said. The man on the screen smiled at her with a fondness she rarely saw. The teeth that showed in the smile all came to small sharp points. His features were angular and long, which was common among those of the Fey bloodline. His hair, while short and neat, was the color of burnished copper and almost perfectly matched his oval eyes. Miss Olivia, he said with a slight southern drawl, it is indeed a pleasure to see you. And you, Sebastian, how are you doing these days? Quite well, thank you. I just attended the ribbon cutting on my newest restaurant. It's in Charlotte and we call it the Wagon Road Seafood House, trying to play on the city's history and all. You should try it if you're ever out that way. I will. Is the arcane available? Oh dear, I knew this wasn't a social call. He's in a meeting, but I know he wouldn't mind being interrupted by you if you think it's important enough might even appreciate it, come to think of it. The Infernal Lobby is pushing for more freedom in the adult entertainment area. Of course they are, Olivia said. Yes, it's important, definitely more so than porn starlets with scaled skin and horns. Horn porn, Sebastian said with a slight giggle. That's what we've taken to calling it. You hold on, Miss Olivia. I'll get him for you.
The screen went gray for a few minutes. Olivia waited patiently until it flickered to life again, and a man's face appeared. He was of an age with Olivia, and had hair that was thick but solid gray and brushed straight back from a face that, while aged and sagging a bit, still carried the character and intelligence of his youth. He greeted her with a broad smile. Olivia, he said with a slight British accent, thank you for calling. You rescued me from an hour of listening to how the veil could be maintained with special effects technology. Makes me want to deafen myself. Hello, Arcane. You're looking well. Uh-oh, he said. You called me Arcane instead of Thomas. Meaning? Meaning you only use my title when things are getting serious. What's happened? Olivia told him. She started with their investigation into the reports of the progeny abducting random people, the Oceanside incident, Israel's and Aaron's awakening, and everything that had led up to their current conversation. When she finished, the arcane of the Council of the Vale was no longer smiling, but his eyes studied her with gentle concern. First of all, he said, my condolences on Matthew's passing. He was a good man. Olivia thanked him. Secondly, and as your friend, I have to say, I understand your reasoning. If this Trent fellow maintained his reason and personality despite the necrophage within him awakening, then there is little doubt he is indeed a paragon. The opportunity to learn from him, particularly with his cooperation, is a prodigious and once-in-many-lifetimes opportunity. But. Olivia said. But, the arcane said with a passing smile, as arcane, Stone's actions have left me in a difficult position. A necrophage paragon, Olivia. He has the power to shred the veil and end the world if he's smart about it. Is that worth the potential benefits he offers? There is a very valid reason we put down all necrophage. I know she said, but the world isn't the same as when Dracul rose. Conquest, kingdoms, these are not things that interest this man. If anything, I consider him a bit of a repressed scholar. Who could inadvertently create any manner of undead if he spits in the wrong place? The arcane said. I trust your judgment of people, Olivia, but that in no way changes what he is. He must be found and dealt with one way or another. I can't offer you support without bringing in the council. I know, she said. I really just wanted you to hear all of this from me instead of some report. What of the other one, the female? Aaron Sims, Olivia said. We have no idea where she is. I saw her vanish into thin air, Thomas, literally vanish. Have you ever heard of a bloodline that could do that? No, he said with a slow shake of his head. But I can get Sebastian to look into it. You know he loves his history. I'd appreciate that. Thank you. The arcane nodded his acknowledgement. I can give you forty-eight hours before I say anything to the others. I can tell you now they're going to push for a blood hunt, especially the Seraphim and the Lycans, but... If you have him locked down by then, I'll be able to hold them off. If not, 
Things are going to get tense, Olivia nodded. It was more than she'd expected. Thank you again, she said. A final thing, he said, on a remotely related topic. What have you heard about a pair of progeny enforcers who are brothers? One of them has a facial tattoo. Olivia considered it for a few moments. I can't recall anything from my reports, she said. Why? Conflicting reports on my end, he said. I have some that say they're just team leaders and another that says the tattooed one rolled a car onto its side barehanded. Nothing confirmable, though. I just thought you might have some additional information. Sorry, no, but I'll definitely keep my eyes open for it. Do we have their names? Screed, the arcane said. Jordan and Carmine Screed. Chapter 12 Jordan Screed, the caller said. I am the seer. The voice was even, calm, and completely androgynous. Jordan's initial reaction was to call the person on the other end of the phone a liar and then hang up, but something stopped him. There was a quality to the voice, a tone that denied challenge and expected obedience. Jordan and Carmine were sitting in the private charter waiting lounge at John F. Kennedy International Airport. They had been quietly sipping drinks amid the dim lights and muted bar sounds that whispered across the room, while they waited for the jet that Ricardo had chartered to go through its preparations for its flight to Oceanside. The room was empty except for a bartender and an overweight businessman watching something on an iPad. Well, Jordan said, this is unexpected. For you, the seer said. Normally I would ask that you put me on speaker so that Carmine could hear me firsthand as well, but that man with the iPad might hear. You'll relay the message adequately. Jordan looked around. There was no one else in the room and no security cameras he could see. So this was the seer after all. To what do we owe the honor? he asked. Your plans have changed, the seer said. You are about to receive an address via text message. You will need to be at that address no later than 2.27 p.m. local time tomorrow. As if on cue, Jordan's phone chirped. He took it away from his ear long enough to check the display. Atlanta, he said when the phone was back at his ear. So they took them to the Silver Sky compound. They did, but the man has escaped and is currently on the run. He will be at that address tomorrow at that time. It is there that you will intercept him. I understand, Jordan said. No, you do not, not yet. He has awakened and in a fashion that I did not foresee. I am rarely surprised, but this has left me unprecedentedly so. His potential usefulness has been elevated substantially, and you and Carmine will capture him but not destroy him as you were planning. Jordan sat up a little straighter in his chair. Sierra, I don't know. Do not lie to me, Jordan. It is a waste of time for both of us. I do not begrudge you and your brother's desire to be the only paragons on the playground, but even you must take a back seat to the machinations of our masters. It is in their glory and wisdom that they have placed this new instrument of their arrival in our path. You will bring me the new one unharmed, and you will do it willingly. The voice never wavered, never betrayed emotion or intent. 
If he couldn't hear the seer breathing, Jordan would have sworn he was talking to some kind of machine. Of course, seer. You said this is one of the Oceanside escapees. What are the other? She has awakened as well, but is proving elusive. The dwellers between have not seen fit to grant me visions of her, but that will come. For now, focus on the male. As you say, seer, what bloodline is this man? What can we expect from him? The seer told him. Jordan felt the blood drain from his face. Do not worry, Jordan. He is fresh to his awakening and is more power than capability, I think. Use your skills and experience and it will overshadow the rawness of his nature. When we brought you and your brother from Sing Sing, I knew the day would come when your awakening and service would lead to this. Trust in your training. Jordan had downed his scotch while the seer had been talking. Of course, seer, I take it you have foreseen an outcome? Not at all. Moments of conflict are nearly impossible to see. Too many things can happen and change too quickly. I merely have confidence in you and your brother. Ricardo will tell you where to bring him when you have captured him. Of course. Jordan, take all necessary precautions. The veil must remain intact until we are prepared to rip it away for our master's arrivals. This is paramount. I understand, seer. Jordan's phone beeped softly before he was finished speaking. He looked at the display and saw that the seer had ended the call. He dropped it on the table. That, he told his brother, was the mother-loving seer on my phone. Yeah, I got that, Carmine said. So we're going to Atlanta now. Jordan nodded and gestured at the bartender for another drink. Carmine did the same. While they waited, Jordan filled his brother in on the conversation. They stopped talking while the bartender delivered the drinks. After the bartender had returned to his post, Carmine said, Well, this'll be new. Never went up against another paragon before. We barely had to go up against anybody, Carmine, and that's the way I like it. We get names, grab the people, and get to live like this. Low risk, stratospheric rewards, just the way I like it. Yeah, Carmine said, it's a sweet gig. But don't you just get a little bored sometimes? No, and neither will you. You getting bored is what gets us on the boss's shit list. Carmine nodded and waved a hand at his brother. Yeah, yeah, I'm a problem child. Fuck you. They sat in silence and nursed their drinks. Another pair of travelers came into the lounge area. The businessman got up and left. A few minutes after that, Carmine said, What the hell is a necrophage anyway? Chapter 13 Erin Sims was having the time of her life. She couldn't remember a time when the streets of Las Vegas seemed so bright and new. Before, she could only see the glitter over the grime, the blinding lights that hid the dark heart and all the people trying to suppress their fear and shame behind painted faces, flashy clothing, and wads of cash. Now, though, it was different. The new and improved Aaron Sims stared down the length of the Vegas Strip and saw nothing but opportunity. She stood on the roof of the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Cool desert air moved briskly around her, but she barely felt the chill through the new pantsuit she was wearing, courtesy of the Boulevard of Shops at Paris, Las Vegas. 
She wished she could have seen the look on the saleswoman's face when she had opened the changing room door and found Aaron's filthy clothing from the fight at the roadhouse. The woman had been a little full of herself, so Aaron was glad that she hadn't seen her step out of the dressing stall and teleport into the small courtyard outside the shop. It occurred to her that they had probably caught her on security camera going in, but it also occurred to her that it just didn't matter. No one could catch her. She basked in the lights of the Strip. The MGM Grand, Paris, the Tropicana, Excalibur. They were all spread out below her like an amusement park. Aaron knew things that weren't on the tourist maps, though. She knew which hotels would tolerate a working girl in their bars, so long as she was classy about it, which street corners were the best for the tourists and vanilla Johns and Janes, and which ones would get you cut or beat down if you worked them without the right person's say-so. She thought it might be fun to hit up some of those corners, lure some John into a deal, get the money up front, and then, poof, disappear with the cash in hand. It wouldn't take her long to rack up a fat stack of large bills, but then she realized that she didn't need it. So long as she had a view of the street and could lay her hands on it, Aaron could have anything she wanted. It would be fun, though. Even though those pervy asshats deserved it, Aaron dismissed the idea. Back in Georgia, John had said something about all this sentry group and bloodline stuff being some big super-secret deal. There was also something about the government being involved. Aaron suspected she could only get away with showing off so many times before somebody said something to the wrong somebody, and suddenly everybody's coming for her. That was not what she wanted. She just wanted to be left alone to go where she pleased and live how she chose. There were, though, some things she needed to do and people she needed to see. Her eyes drifted to the west, and though she couldn't see it, she knew that the club her brother owned was out there on Desert Inn Road, well off the strip. She had to see him, say goodbye, and say things she'd never had the courage to before. Some of the girls, too. She could get them going away gifts, and Aaron clenched her teeth. That wasn't why she needed to go, and she knew it. She also wanted to say goodbye to Israel. She wasn't sure how she was going to pull that one off, but she figured it wouldn't be that hard to score the cash for a plane trip to Atlanta. She'd have to do it the old-fashioned way since she couldn't teleport where she couldn't see, and she damn sure couldn't see that far. For an instant, she wondered if she could pull herself into a moving plane, but remembered Rick's ruined face staring down at her from the rafters and dismissed the idea. That was something for another time. Like Israel had said, safe, slow, and easy. That's how she needed to handle this. A slight shiver frosted over her. She wasn't sure if it was the weather or the thought of seeing Tico again. Either way, she knew it wasn't going to get better if she just stood on a roof all night. She faced to the west again, focused on the roof of the Hampton Inn a few streets over, and pulled. The club was called Visions. Aaron stood in the parking lot and stared up at the word and watched it blink in purple neon. Two outlines of strippers flanked the word and blinked a bright green in an alternating pattern. She remembered how Tico had agonized over what to call the place, not wanting it to just be another whatever gentleman's club. He'd gone through dozens of names before deciding on this one. 
He'd also bruised her ribs good when she'd called one of them silly. Come on, though. Who names a club ragdolls? The parking lot was full, and Aaron realized it was a Friday night. The club would be full of blue-collar types, married guys looking for some strange in an out-of-the-way spot, and college guys who didn't have the cash for the top-tier clubs. Aaron started to focus on the door, but then caught herself. It would be better to walk in this time. She took measured steps across the asphalt parking lot and made her way through the rows of cars reflecting the neon dully from their hoods and windshields. When she reached the door, she took a deep breath and pulled it open. Fast hip-hop thumped out at her in a wave of alcohol, perfume, and body-scented air. The inner doors were propped open, and she could see into the club. Three women were spinning and gyrating around poles on each of the three platforms on the T-shaped stage. Other women were working the room in small bikinis, lingerie, and high heels. A bull of a man with a bushy, unkempt beard named Owen was working the door. His face lit up in surprise when he saw her. Damn, girl, he said. Boss been looking for you. He didn't smile, just looked her over with a keen eye. In his office? Aaron asked. Owen nodded, his gray-threaded beard pushing against the black Led Zeppelin t-shirt he was wearing. Yeah, you better butter him up a little. He ain't been happy you being gone and all. Aaron nodded. She could imagine. Aaron wove her way through the crowd, stopping twice when a couple of the girls saw her and wanted to say hello and give her a quick hug. She talked around their questions about where she'd been as nicely as she could manage, and finally found herself at the door to Tico's office. There was a keypad by the door, and she punched in the four-digit code. Eight, four, five, six. Her brother's digital name. She took a deep breath and pushed the door open. The office was a large one, not the size of Warbitch's, but big. Mirrors hung on most of the walls, along with black and white photography pieces that were mostly erotica of one kind or another involving couples or groups of women. A seating area with a small bar, large leather couch, and matching club chairs was off to one side of a large, glass-topped desk. A brass pole stood opposite that, so Tico could hold private dances for business partners. The air was cold and had the sweet tang of lingering cigar smoke. Once the soundproof door closed, Silence squashed the club music like a bug under a boot. Tico Sims looked up from the laptop on his desk. Aaron was always struck by his eyes. Barely into his thirties, Tico had eyes that were older and more assessing under thick eyebrows and a narrow forehead. They seemed to take you in all at once and process your worth with only a moment's glance. He was handsome with masterfully unkempt hair over a face that looked like it belonged in a greaser film from the 1950s. His face had a scruffy but ruthlessly intentional five o'clock shadow that surrounded tight but full lips. The lips were almost identical to Aaron's. Well, 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 he said in a smooth baritone. Welcome home, little sister. I thought you'd gone and run away on me. Aaron took a few steps into the room as he rose. He was wearing his usual colorful shirt and slacks, looking more ready for a disco dance-off than business. Brushed gold caught the light at his throat and the rings on his fingers. Sorry, she said. Client wanted a girlfriend for a work getaway thing. 
The money was good, so I took it, but I forgot my phone. They met in the center of the room. They shared a hug. Aaron tried to break the embrace quickly, but Tico kept his hold on her. You couldn't borrow one or get the guy to buy you a new one? His squeeze tightened just a bit. I was busy, she said. He needed a lot of attention. You got paid, though. Yeah, I got paid. Cash is in my bag behind the bar, she lied. Tico's hug tightened into something rougher for just a moment, and then he released her. When he stepped back, he looked at her and said, Well, all right, baby sister's taking care of business. Baby sister. He always called her that no matter what they were doing. You'll have to tell me all about it, he said. He walked over to the small bar and said, Drink? Aaron declined. Tico poured himself two fingers of Maker's Mark from a crystal decanter into a matching glass. He turned and looked his sister over intentionally. So where was this getaway, he asked. Oceanside, Aaron said. California, that's a long way for a job, baby sister. Aaron shrugged. Turned out to be worth it. Tico nodded. Well, you aren't the only one who's been making it rain, he said. Remember that warehouse I picked up down in Prim? I finally found a use for the fucking thing. Check it. He gestured her toward the desk as he moved around behind it. Aaron walked over and stood beside him. He was tapping through a series of photos of young girls. They were in their teens and looked to be mostly Latina. Right before you went on your vacation, he said, some guys came to see me about buying the warehouse. I got a few drinks into them, had some of the girls loosen them up, and found out what they wanted it for. Rather than sell it to them, I convinced them to let me rent it out to them for a cut of their action. Which is what? Aaron asked. Tico nodded at the screen. These little beauties. See, there are some people out there, ragheads mostly, who are rolling in enough bank that they like to buy their own rather than rent from people like us. These guys that came to me provide the product, and the whales come in and bid on it. Now that I'm providing the space, I get a cut of that. First auction goes down in a couple of hours, in fact. Aaron looked at the pictures. The faces were scared, exhausted, or had the glassy sag of the heavily stoned. A lot of these are just kids, Aaron said. Ain't that a lot of risk? Tico nodded. Oh, yeah, but that's the beauty. These guys have an in with the cops, so they get a heads up if anybody gets wise to them. Besides, I don't think you realize the kind of money we're talking about. You're forgetting the family motto, baby sister. Pussy is product. Aaron watched him click through the photos. There were so many. Her gaze shifted up to her brother's face. The cold, dark eyes, the straight nose, and the mouth that was slightly curved into a hungry smile she had seen far too many times in far too many variations. No, she said as her stomach roiled. This is too much. In retrospect, she should have seen the blow coming. His right hand flashed up lightning quick almost as soon as the words left her mouth and backhanded her across the bottom of her jaw. Aaron's teeth slammed together and she tasted blood as she staggered backwards. Tico stayed with her and spun his left fist into her ribcage. Air exploded out of Aaron's lungs and she crumpled to her knees. Pain overwhelmed her and she couldn't think. 
couldn't focus. Tico grabbed a handful of Aaron's hair and used it to drag her across the floor and throw her against the brass pole. He knelt down, grabbed her throat, and pressed her head hard against the metal. Do you think for one fucking moment I believe that bullshit story you just laid out? He hissed. I don't know where you've been or who you've been doing, you little cunt, but I do know two things. First, I better see that cash you said you had or you're gonna owe me a whole lot of hurt. And second, you don't ever tell me my fucking business. He shoved her into the pole with each of the last three words hard enough to leave bruises. He punctuated the sentence with a short, hard punch to her cheek under her right eye. Aaron struggled to breathe, to think past the pain, to concentrate. She felt the tears and the nausea that always came when this happened. This was Tico, the brother who had taken care of them and kept them fed after mom had overdosed. This was Tico, her brother and her provider and the only person who loved her. She'd known he'd get like this, known her being gone would make him mad. She should have called him. She could have done that in Georgia and then it would have been better. This was her fault for not calling when she had the chance and in the initial moments of the assault, the computer had been disturbed and had spun around so that she could see the screen over Tico's shoulder. A small face stared out from that screen. The girl in it was glassy-eyed and couldn't be more than 14. If she was anything like Aaron, she'd lost her innocence years ago to a man just like the one in front of her. Somewhere in her memory, behind the lack of breath and throbbing pains, she heard Israel talking about what decent people do. Aaron turned her tear-filled eyes to her brother and nodded her understanding. He studied her for a moment before nodding back and letting her go. He stood over her while she got her breathing and sobbing under control. When she started to rise, he said, Oh no, while you're still on your knees, I think you need to give me the very best apology you can. With one quick motion, he unzipped his fly and pulled out his semi-erect organ. Aaron looked away, even though it was nothing new. You're my brother, she said in a hoarse whisper. What? You're my brother, she screamed, glaring at him. Tico raised his hand to slap her, but she held his eyes with hers, ready to pull to the other side of the room if that hand dropped even an inch. Instead, he just grinned. Yeah, I am. I've carried you for years, and this? He lowered his hand and grabbed himself, waving it in her face. This is how you thank me, remember? You'd be doing five-dollar blowjobs in an alley somewhere if not for me. Aaron flinched away and said, This isn't how it's supposed to be, Tico. You aren't supposed to treat people like this, especially not your family. Tico laughed. Whatever. End of the day, you're just more product, and us sharing a mom don't change that. Now, how about you stop talking all this bullshit, baby sister, and work this cock like I know you can? Or do I need to make you? Aaron had been slowly focusing. She could pull to anywhere in the room, but there were no windows for her to see the outside. The face on the computer seemed to be watching her. Slowly, resolutely, she started shifting her focus to the ground beneath them. She tried to imagine the dark and the dirt and the stones. Then she felt a point below them crystallize in her mind. 
you're my brother, she said to Tico, looking up at him with his cock in his hand. And I just came to tell you goodbye. But you aren't a good person. You don't love anything but yourself, and I'm not going to let you hurt anybody anymore. The hand he was holding up to slap her slowly closed into a fist as he said, And what are you going to do to stop me, baby sister? Goodbye, Tico, Aaron said through tears and blood. She touched his knee and pushed. Tico vanished. There was no sound at all for a few seconds. Aaron knew he was down there, though, deep below her feet, buried alive and trying to scream with no air to do it with. So Aaron did it for him. She wasn't sure how long it was before she stopped. Most of the mirrors were shattered. The photographs were all torn from the walls and shredded into so much grayscale confetti. She had vomited again at one point, but only vaguely remembered it. She sat with her back to the wall, looking out over the ruins of Tico's office. She hurt from the beating and the wailing, but her tears were gone. They were gone like her brother was gone. She sat, breathing in and out heavily. She told herself it had to be done. She told herself there was no other way. She told herself he had it coming. None of it helped. There was a flicker as the screensaver on Tico's laptop activated, and the Vision's logo started scrolling across the screen. Aaron got up and went to the computer. She tapped the keys, and the picture of the girl looked back at her. Aaron struggled to get her feelings in check, and then looked over at the door. She knew where the prim warehouse was. Aaron went behind the desk and pulled back a small rug that concealed Tico's floor safe. She'd figured the code out long ago, but had never told him. She tapped in the numbers and it popped open. Inside, she found several stacks of cash, various documents, a set of car keys to the company van, and a nickel-plated Colt 1911 along with three spare clips. Aaron hefted the pistol and looked it over. Tico said he'd had it custom-made with a pearl handle that was inset with a queen of hearts. He called it his suicide queen. Aaron put the weapon in her waistband and pulled her blouse over it. The extra clips went into a pocket. She knew where the warehouse was, but figured it was too far to teleport. She grabbed the keys and the cash. She had one more stop to make before putting Las Vegas behind her forever. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sorceress as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. 
thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Cause we warriors. Cause we warriors. Let's go. Let's